You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions midweek podcast. Yeah, it's the offseason. We're still doing it. Uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the editor chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me, as always, co-hosting First Bite is Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore POD, senior editor at Pride of Detroit. Ryan, how we doing? Uh, we're doing good. Fresh off of parent-teacher conferences coming hot into this uh, this discussion we're about to have with one of Detroit's best uh, that's that's right. That's for sure. And let's just jump right into it. Uh, he's looking around trying to find Detroit's best. Uh, uh, he's a. Uh, I, I don't. How long have you been at M Live? This is a horrible intro already. I'm already asking you a question. Too long. Too long. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> I was I was still at Grand Valley when I was answering phones at the Grand Rapids Press in 2007. Okay. So I guess 2007 in one capacity or another. There you go. 15 yeah. years then over at M Live or M Live adjacent. Uh, the beat writer for the Detroit or on the Detroit Lions for MLive.com. Kyle Meinke is here. Kyle, how you doing, buddy? Hey guys, Jeremy. It's it's day three of the, uh, right day f- day three day four of the off season, and the uh, mustaches mid season form. I'm, I'm digging it. <laughs> yeah, I I have uh, I have a couple obligations. I have to do a, a Ted Lasso cosplay during one of these streams. Uh, I also have to do who's the other cosplay I have to do? I've already forgotten. I don't know. There's so many people you play. Is it yeah. another Macho Man one? No, I'm not doing another Macho Man one. Ned Flanders, that's right. Oh, there uh, which will be a good one. And then I also have to dye it blue and silver at some point. So uh, that's mm. probably going to happen in the next month. But Kyle, let's let's turn it back on you because uh, it, it's nice to kind of get an outsidery perspective yeah. in in terms of fandom. I guess um, you're, you're more of a, a you are a journalist. I don't know why I said more, but you, you're you're a journalist. You're not necessarily a fan, and we tend to get a little bit hype. And uh, I mean interested in seeing some of your opinions on, on the Lions season. And I want to start right there because we asked a question to ourselves during the podcast last week, uh, asking ourselves if the 2021 season was a success for the Detroit Lions, all things considered, obviously we're not talking Super Bowl, but going in with expectations as they were, would you consider the Detroit Lions 2021 season a success? I know that's a, a loaded question, but I'm curious as to what you think. Yeah, unequivocally, actually. And I know I know it was a long season. You know, I know three wins is not good enough. Brad Holmes said as much in the in the finale. And I'm not saying otherwise, but they were they were plain about their intentions coming into this season. Like the season was was not about winning games and making the playoffs. Like their intentions were always to strip down the roster, uh, reset the culture, and look forward to 2022. I, I think when you trade your best player, Matthew Stafford, and I know they got Melifanwu with the first pick, but really the returns on that was the two future first round picks. Like 
that to me telegraphs like it's not about 21 it's about 22 and beyond and when i talked to uh, dan campbell um i think it was like maybe two weeks after he was hired i mean he told me uh in a one-on-one you know the same thing and we've heard it in different versions throughout the year but he told me in plain speak like every decision we make is about next year and the year after that and and i think we've seen that right like in free agency i mean when you go out there and it's every guy you you sign is a bargain guy with a one-year contract uh, i mean you're clearly not gearing up for a you know competitive uh, pursuit in in 21 mm-hmm. so yeah three wins is not good and some of the losses were ugly and some of the losses were heartbreaking right um but it was never really about the wins and losses. It was about setting the culture, uh, setting the foundation. And I think they did that. And I think when you look at how small the rookie class was uh, by comparison and how many starters they were able to get out of it, starting 10 first-year guys at one point or another, all the way from Panay down to the undrafted guys like Jerry Jacobs and uh, AJ Parker, I think they said they did what they set out to do. And I think they've really given themselves um, some momentum going forward. Well, you know, Kyle, you talk about the, that culture setting and and what Dan Campbell is able to come in to do in, in his first season. But, you know, the question I want to ask you is, like, what did you learn about Dan Campbell uh, maybe as a person and a coach? Um, aside from, you know, you just mentioned that it was all about, you know, 2022, 2023. He's already looking forward to how he can build this team. What have you learned about Dan Campbell, again, as a human, as a coach um, in your in your first year with with him? Well, um, the book on him, I think has proven to be true. I I mean, when he was hired, uh, you know, it was, you could, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting somebody around the NFL, uh, who would speak highly of the guy and, and how they would run through a wall for the guy or punch somebody for the guy or whatever it is. We've seen a version of those quotes throughout the league guys who had him in new Orleans and Miami and so forth. And of course we didn't know that firsthand going in, but it's bored out over the year and guys like in staff is just a 180 from where he was last year. And you can go from top to bottom of the roster of guys, not just saying they love Dan Campbell, but the way they fought all the way to the finish, you know, and, you know, I don't have to belabor the point. We all saw the product down the stretch. It was much improved, even with nothing to, to play for, even with nobody out there. So I think that bodes well for the book on him. Um, but if you're asking me what I learned about him, that maybe I, I just didn't expect, Fact, like the, the play calling down the stretch was very good and very intriguing. And um, I know there's a lot of variables that went into the second half uptick, if you will, with the offense, you know, Josh Reynolds coming to the fold as a, as a vertical threat, Taylor Decker coming back, uh, you know, Ben Johnson designing more plays. I, I think, you know, that was part of the infusion of the creativity that we saw down the stretch with a lot of guys. And in particular, Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, but I don't think we can dismiss the guy calling the shots. I mean, what he did was really hard. I, I, I was there for the first year of Jim Caldwell. I was there for the first year of uh, of Matt Patricia. And it's like, you know, as a first-time coach, especially with Patricia, it was an overwhelming task for him. And I know, we, you know, he failed in a lot of ways, but I think he, he got underwater really fast with – just not being able to handle all of the duties of, of, a, of, a, of a head coach. It's hard. And for Dan Campbell to be a first-time head coach of an 0-8 team and to then take over the play calling and all the challenges therein and really setting a new course for the offense. Um, you know, they didn't rip out the whole playbook, but they really changed the approach. They became more explosive uh, downfield, uh, you know, um, more creativity, more trick plays and so forth. 
I just, it surprised me because a lot of the things we heard about Dan Campbell was that he was a character coach. He was a player's coach. He was going to be a, a motivator and inspirer. Um, I wouldn't hear as much about the X's and O's and it's a small sample size. Um, you know, there's a lot of variables going on, but I just think there's a lot to be encouraged about that. I didn't know going in about, you know, his handle on, on offensive schematics. Yeah. I think that's a really good point there. I think most people myself probably included didn't really expect to see him, uh, kind of flex that muscle. And, and I, you know, I think a lot of people were skeptical at the time when, when he took over play calling, it seemed like maybe a, a, a panic move because things weren't going out so well. And for him to, to really, you know, succeed pretty much as much as you could realistically expect in year one, while kind of juggling everything else. I think that's a really good point to make. Um, my, my follow-up is what, what about Dan Campbell? Do you think you still have to learn? What, what don't you know about Dan Campbell yet? What do you need? I guess maybe a bigger sample size before you draw any conclusions about him. It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, he wants to be aggressive and we saw that bear out over time with the fourth downs and the fake punts. And, uh, I mean, really, uh, everything. And I was going through, you know, some end of the season housekeeping and in my notes, and uh, I found a, I was going through my first interview with him and he actually, he, he painted the picture for me. I, I didn't even remember the quote, but he was like, you know, I want to be uh, aggressive and the school I'm from. And I kind of forgot about that. And it kind of bore out over time. I guess what I'm curious to see going, Going into year two is how, what that looks like when they're competitive. Throw caution to the wind and, and to roll the dice. <laughs> um, you know when there's nothing to play for when you're behind. I mean, the first half of the season they were behind damn near every minute of every game. Um, so I, 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 I don't know what that looks like. He clearly is an aggressive guy, and that's going to manifest itself some way going forward. But what that looks like is he going to set another fourth down record? Next year, I, I don't really know because if they're more competitive, if they're ahead in more games, um, a, a better roster, if they're playing for the playoffs, uh, you know, at what point does he pull back the reins on his aggressiveness and um, and lay up, if you will? Uh, I, that's something we didn't really see this year because it was pedal to the metal um, pretty much all the way. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a great thing for for fans to keep an eye on moving forward because, like you said, there just weren't those opportunities. So, um, but you mentioned Kyle, you know, you've been on the beat for for Jim Caldwell, you've been on the beat for Matt Patricia. There were some bad teams over the course of both of those eras in uh, in Detroit. Is the optimism around Detroit unique, considering? I mean, like like you said at the top, I mean, it was a three win team. Um, have you ever have you ever seen this much optimism from fans, uh, after a bad season? No, um, <laughs> in a word, no. Um, yeah. and I, just a little plug, just a little plug here, you know, at, at M live, you know, we just Ben Raven and I just started our own, our own little podcast. Uh, we're like six or seven episodes in, so we're nothing like you guys yet. We're still working on it, but we just did our episode this week and Ben and I were talking about like, I, I've been around the NFL for a decade now and I've never seen a three win team inspire so much confidence or, or whatever the word is. I, I just think the vibes are good right now. And it's not just, I was going to say, do you, you think know, you that's everywhere? Sometimes, do you think that's more that? than just, do you think that's just kind of like everywhere? Is that pervasive throughout the organization? Do you feel too? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. They're, the, the vibes are high. I think the vibes were high even before we saw these, the, you know, the surge at the end of the year, but it's, it's, uh, it's heartening when you see, the evidence on the field and, and Jeremy's been around this too. Like, like Jeremy, you can, you can vouch for this. Like there's a, just a different vibe around the building when you're coming off a win, yeah. like you can, 
talk nice, feel good. You can, you can know, Hey, we lost, but there's things to feel good about, but then there's no feeling in the NFL quite like winning and winning three times down the stretch and, and doing it three times in four weeks in your last four games with golf on the field, I think is really just added some credibility to the good vibes people were already feeling in Allen park. Yeah. It's, it's weird because, you know, I, I try to walk the line between fan and, and objectiveness as, as much as possible. And, and, and this is why I wanted to bring you on too, is because I'm, I'm starting to get swept up in it a little bit. I'm starting to get, <laughs> you know, optimistic and, and listen, Dan Campbell called me negative Nancy or whatever the, uh, a few weeks ago and, Debbie and I, I downer. Debbie downer, whatever. Uh, and, and I, I, I get, you know, I get reputation on the both side on both sides of, but I guess, uh, outside of just vibes, do you think there is a legitimate reason for Lions fans to be as excited as they presumably are? I mean, Dan Campbell has like a 98% approval rating on, on pride of Detroit right now. Is, is, does, is it warranted to you? Do you? If you were a fan, would you be feeling that too right now? I guess. Yeah. I mean, as a journalist who, who doesn't care if they win or lose, like I, I still think, I think there's reasons to feel optimistic about where they're heading. Mm -hmm. Like we said at the top, like this year was not about winning and losing. Of right. course, you'd rather win than, than lose, but that was not really the point of this year. This point, the point of this year was to reset the culture, which was horrific at this time last year. Right. I, I mean, the things that you have read are all true. And then it's then some, I, I have heard so much shit about Matt Patricia and the things that he did to that team and how people were feeling. And like I said, on this week's uh, podcast over at M live, like you just don't see when a coach is fired, like you don't see players and people in the league and active in the league, especially dancing on the grave. You, you just don't because I mean, I'm a lot of reasons, right? Mostly because you want to get employment going forward. Right. And there was a stream of players and ex-players who were dancing on the graves of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia before those bodies were cold. You know, yeah. I mean, it was all over Twitter and everywhere else. Sean Robinson, Darius Slay, Quandre Diggs, uh, uh, Stephen Tulloch was out there. I mean, Dan Olavsky was out there who Dan, Dan Olavsky does not criticize anyone. And he was criticizing <laughs> on his way out the door. And now you compare that to where you are now, where it's not just that Campbell is well-liked. It's that he has the command and the respect of the locker room. It's not just that he's a teddy bear out there. It's like these guys are playing for him to the very finish. And I tweeted this and I, I don't want to make too much about a little thing because it is a little thing. But I, I just, I, on, um, on the final drive against the Packers and Jared Goff is out there and Jared Goff doesn't have to be out there. He didn't play in the two previous games and, and it's a lost season with three wins. No one think twice about that guy shutting it down and looking forward to next year. And not only does he play in that game, but he's out there on the last series in the last minute blocking on like one good knee, basically for Amon Ross St. Brown coming back around on a reverse. And that guy's a former first overall pick, sixth or seventh year in the league. Like he's been to a Super Bowl and he's out there for a three-win team blocking with like really one good knee. Uh, and it wasn't, a, I, I'm not trying to make too much out of it. It wasn't like a big block can go see it. It's like, he kind of just like gets into what guy's way. But that to me, like that's a difference from last year where they were with Matt Patricia and how much guys they had, they were totally done with Matt Patricia. And um, and so that was what this show was about was resetting that culture and trying to rebuild the organization and the infighting that had occurred during the previous regime and the walled off nature of the football operations with, with Bob Quinn. Like that was one of the things about the organization that a lot of people with, within the organization was there was a lot of resentment and bad feelings and 
otherwise just bad vibes um, because they were walling themselves off from the rest of the organization. So all of that stuff was happening as well this year with the more open and collaborative nature of everything going on. And then you throw in three wins down the stretch and a lot of players playing better. And you throw in um, the, 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 the good play of the rookies and some bargain free agents like Charles Harris who come in, Khalif Raymond who come in with no track record and play well. I just think it bodes well and gives a lot of credibility. I guess that's the word that I used before, but it gives credibility to what they're doing. And so I guess that's why I would feel optimistic about, you know, where, where they're headed. There's, don't get me wrong. There's so many steps to make between here and the playoffs or uh, God forbid, you know, a, a title push. I mean, they have so many things they have to do and I, there, no one can forecast if they can do it. A lot of things have to go right. But I haven't seen anything through one year that leads me to believe they can't do it. And that's different from the last regime. Like I was thinking that stuff in week two of the, <laughs> last, of the last regime. And now we're a year in and it's like they, they've given themselves a chance. and They give themselves a lot of credibility going forward. Jeremy, this isn't gimmick infringement. I don't want you to get upset. I don't want to step on your toes, but okay. you, you, you asked Kyle about why is there a reason to be optimistic uh, for, for Lions fans? Like, is that real? I have to ask about what's your biggest concern going forward for the Lions? You know, you, you mentioned you can't really forecast a lot of those things. What, what are those things that we can't forecast that, that might end up being, um, you know, a detriment to Detroit's uh, growth? Well, personnel. I mean, it, it always comes down to players. Uh, yeah. You know, nobody nobody can win without players, and the Lions don't have players. That's that that's the reason they lost so many games this year, even with a lot of things going right. Um, you know, and and that's what you can't forecast. They haven't added those players yet. Like, there's a lot to like about what they've done to this point, Ryan. You know, with, with uh, this rookie class coming in, and of course, Panay's a monster coming in. Like mm -hmm. you could have predicted, hey, if X, Y, and Z happen, this guy's going to have a big year. But look at guy, look at a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown. And it's like a lot of teams could have had a, a shot at that guy and they didn't. And the Lions chose him because he was a fit for their the, the culture they want to build. A, a Jerry Jacobs, like there's a million UDFAs out there and they target a guy like Jerry Jacobs because he's, he's a pit bull. That's the word that they use in Helen Park to describe <laughs> that guy. And if you watch him play football, that's what he is. He's a pit bull. That's yeah. the, like, like he just goes after dudes. And so I think the thing that I like about what they're doing is that anybody can watch tape and say, this guy is fast or this guy's big, or this guy was talented or productive or whatever. It's not just about finding talent. It's about finding talent that fits what you want to do and fits your roster, you know, and complements what you have on your roster. It fits the culture you want to build. And I guess that's what's enthused me or giving me confidence about where they're going is because they didn't just draft some receiver who can go catch passes they draft a receiver because he he's kind of a pit bull i'm on ross st brown the way he blocks and the physicality he goes out there on the first day of padded practice and he's picking a fight in the third day the 112th overall pick is picking a fight with the third overall pick from the previous <laughs> year like that's the attitude and the kind of like culture kind of thing they're trying to build and they went out there and they found it and the guy had success and of course even they couldn't have forecasted the success he had in the second half of the year but that's the kind of stuff that happens when you're matching talent with what you want to do. But having said that, like you, I, you can't predict the steps going forward and they need so much talent, especially defensively. And you, you love what Aaron Glenn did with making lemonade all year, but at some point to beat teams, you need game breakers, you need playmakers and uh, you have to, you can't miss on those picks when you make them and they're going to have the number two overall pick. They're probably going to have their, their choice of either uh, a Thibodeau or, 
Hutchinson, that's, I mean, I think we all assume it's going to be one of those two guys, um, you know, and that's going to make a big difference, but you got to develop those guys like you have Panay and um, you know, they need a linebacker. They need a playmaking linebacker badly for as, you know, as good as Amon Ra is and the good work they've done on that side of the ball. Um, they need a playmaker on the perimeter, you know, like they have a nice player in, in Sam Brown. They, uh, you know, uh, uh, DeAndre Swift is a borderline playmaker. Maybe he's a playmaker out of the backfield, but you need a you need something like that vertically, and they don't have that right now. And before they get where they want to go, they need um, a player like that out there as well. So really, Ryan, it just comes down to personnel, and no one can predict predict the, the success or, or failure of what they'll do. But I do, like I said, I have credibility and confidence in what they've done um, to this point so far. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back. When we come back, we're going to talk about the guy in charge of all those personnel decisions. We're going to talk Brad Holmes, who just had his end-of-year press conference. Uh, nice little segue into that segment. So we'll be right back here on First Bite. Stick with us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to First Bite, our midweek Detroit Lions podcast. We are here with Kyle Meinke of MLive.com. You can follow him at KMeinke, that's M-E-I-N-K-E, on Twitter. Kyle, let's talk about Brad Holmes. Uh, just had his postseason press conference. Um, a real simple question at, at the top here. What was your biggest takeaway from, from that press conference? You know, GMs tend to be a little close to the vest sometimes, but Brad Holmes said some interesting things. What, what was your biggest takeaway? No big like breaking news right? right first of all i mean there's nothing he said that was shocking um so i guess the most notable thing you know I, I was curious about what his expectations were going into year two because we all knew that year one was about the culture stuff the foundational stuff that we've talked about um you know and wins or losses would be what they are and um so i think you can understand why they'd feel good about this year even if they only had the three wins, but that bar changes next year. Like you can only have that kind of feel good out of three wins for so long. The NFL is about winning. Eventually you have to do that. And so I was curious to hear what his expectations were going to be for next year. Um, and I think they're closer than people realize. I really do. I, I, I'm not trying to like. Hype us up, crazy. Kyle. Come on. Hype us up. Yeah. I'm not trying to like <laughs> sip the cool. Fan those hey, flames, man. Fan those flames. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, they're the Detroit Lions, man. Like yeah. <laughs> buying into what they're doing is a, is a fool's errand. It, 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 you always end up looking the fool and it's happened to me before. Um, what was, what year was it where they started off like three and one or something and they well, played the, the Chiefs and oh, yeah. That was, but that was 18 or 19. It was yeah. on the Patricia stuff. And yeah. I wrote a column, which is probably the, the worst thing that I've, I've read, I've written, or like, at least like the most misguided, but I was like, cause they played the chiefs, obviously very competitively. They lost that game, but they played well. Stafford went toe to toe with Mahomes. actually had a fourth quarter comeback drive, a go ahead drive that, right. you know, obviously they just came back the other way. 
and did what they do and the Lions did what they do. But I wrote after that game, like, Hey, like the Lions look legit legitimate. And I think they won like one game, the rest of the <laughs> way, right. Like the rest of the season. <laughs> so you have to buy in like, you know, at your own like peril basically. Um, but uh, having said all that, um, you know, it's like, there's a lot to like about what they've done going into this, the second year, you know, and um, you, you know, but they have to get, as we talked about before the player acquisition stuff, they have to get good players. And um, that's what Brad Holmes said on, on uh, the, this week, you know, uh, this is the player acquisition phase. And I thought that was interesting because um, I, I do think there's an opportunity there this year. I think they're closer than, than people realize, um, which is what I was trying to say when I got off track, um, you know, they, Goff's playing well. They, they they need a field stretcher. They need a, a playmaker on the perimeter is what they really need. But you add that to a mix with St. Brown underneath, Hawkinson underneath. You got, obviously, Swift and, and Jamal Williams back in the backfield. A really good offensive line that didn't even play a single snap together last year. I do think the Lions are closer to, like, a playoff push than people will realize. And, and maybe I'll get made fun of for saying that, but they're not that far off. And I say that in part because of what I just said and also because – they're going to have seven games next year against teams with first-year coaches, right? I mean, Chicago and Minnesota not only are hiring new coaches, but GMs as well. They're going for their own rebuilds or versions of it. And that's all without the like the Aaron Rodgers stuff uh, withstanding, you know? So I don't know. Like, I, I was curious to hear what Brad Holmes had to say about his expectations for next year. And he said that it was about player acquisition. It sounds like they're going to, in addition to all the stuff they have going on in the draft, but they're going to be opening up the billfold a little bit in free agency, which is a, a side of homes we haven't seen yet. You know, it was all the one-year contracts really last year. Um, so I thought that was the most interesting, interesting thing that he had to say. I, I do think that you're going to see a much more active team when it comes to uh, free agency this year. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Brad Holmes, I mean, obviously his, his biggest transaction he's made was the first one he made, you know, trading Matthew Stafford away for Jared Goff. Uh, you wrote an article earlier this week um, titled the Lions have some huge decisions to make at quarterback, but Jared Goff's ascent helps buy them some time. Brad Holmes said some things about Jared Goff in his press conference. What do you think? Do you think Jared Goff did enough to stave off drafting a quarterback in this draft? No. I, I do think he did enough this year to buy the Lions some time if if it comes to that, which it might, because I think when they had their original quarterback plan, their original plan going into this year after the Stafford stuff, it was to build out the roster enough so they could they could support a franchise quarterback when one came down either, you know, in this draft or the next. And because of the Stafford trade, they would have four first round picks. It's a lot of capital to either draft a guy that you like make a move up the board one of those years to go after a guy, guy you like. But obviously the quarterback class this year is not what people were anticipating. There's no one, I think, really for the top 10, certainly for the top five, you know, and if you look at the like scouting profiles, like I'm definitely not like some draft expert or whatever, but if you watch these guys play, if you read what, you know, draft experts have to say about these guys, at least to this point, a lot of these guys project as like, solid NFL starters. Like that's kind of like their ceiling and that's kind of what Jared Goff is. Right. And it's like, they already have their like solid NFL starter. And I don't know if like burning a first round pick on a guy whose ceiling is maybe something akin to Jared Goff is really uh, the way to go. The good news is, is I do think the, you know, with, with Goff playing as well as he did down the stretch and, and doing so with Dan Campbell as the play caller and Ben Johnson, you know, designing plays, these guys who are going to be back next year, 
you know, it, it, it buys them some time so that they don't have to draft a guy. They don't have to press that quarterback issue this year if they don't want to. And they might not want to. They, they do have three picks in the top 34. They'll have an extra third round or two because of the comp pick stuff. So they have the ammo to do it if they want. I just And they'll have a good look at some of those guys, by the way, at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Malik Willis is on their team. Um, Sam Howell's on their team down, down there in Mobile. So they'll have a good intimate hands-on look at some of these guys, which I think will help the evaluation. But if they don't like them, if they don't see what they, they want to see in a franchise guy, I say they should pass. And they, they have that luxury too, because, because golf played well enough to, I think, get you through next year. And I, I think there's a path to them, uh, you know, being competitive with Jared Goff out there, as I said before, because I, I think if you go out there, you don't let the quarterbacks in this, in, in this draft, for example, you can go out there and you can go into free agency and you can, there's a lot of top flight kind of wide receivers out there. Um, uh, you can buy a guy in free agency. You've also got the three picks in the top 34. That's a lot of ammunition to go find another receiver, uh, including the two in the first round, um, you know, that to, to go find a guy. And so I, I, I think if you were to want to roll the dice, this year with Jared Goff, um, you could surround him with more weapons that would make him more capable, I think, uh, of, of leading this thing forward and, and then buying yourself some time to the quarterback class in 2022 or uh, 2023, rather. I'm still getting the years mixed up too. It's, it's yeah, January. Yeah, yeah. You're allowed to. Um, it's been a long five months. It has. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about his first draft class, Brad Holmes' first draft class. He, he kind of gave himself a little pat on the back during the press conference saying, you know, all, all six of them got some playing time, five of them started or, or whatever the stat was. Um, but, you know, for, for all the praise that we're giving Panay Sewell and Amon Ra and even uh, Ali McNeil, there are two two pretty big question marks with with Derek Barnes and Levi Onzerike. And Holmes seemed – pretty optimistic about those guys and, and provided some, I think, important context, you know, Lee or uh, Levi opted out, was dealing with an injury in, in off season. Um, and then with, with Barnes new to the position, my question to you is how much are you buying those excuses and, and what level of concern should Lions fans have about those guys? Obviously no one's calling them a bust after one year or anything like that, but do you think it was fair for maybe Lions fans to expect more out of those guys this year? Barnes was a fourth rounder, correct? Yep. Uh, yeah. So Barnes, uh, I mean, like, I mean, he kind of was what you expect from most fourth rounders that are not named Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, fourth rounders, like they're kind of a roll of the dice. Uh, you expect maybe contributions, especially on special teams at some point, but like whether they be, whether they become full-time starters on offense or defense is really like probably less than 50, 50. Yeah. So for him to not be a major factor is not really a concern or even out of the norm for a guy that was drafted where he was. And as Brad Holmes um, mentioned this week, you know, he, he, he's a little late on experience as well with the position that he's playing now. Um, so there's no, for me, there's no real concern. I, I, I think that, you know, there was like some, like uh, it was interesting to see the hype kind of build around yeah. Derek Barnes and training. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, a little rash kind of, for sure. He, he did like he like he became something of a fan favorite. I, I noticed that with like just the stories and how they got clicked and the, like on Twitter and stuff like what people were talking about. I'm like, man, like fourth round linebacker, like it's getting a lot of love. Um, but like, I so there's no concern and, and that's a tough position and there wasn't a lot of talent around him. Um, you know, I don't know what he forecasts as I don't know if he'll ever be a three down guy, but as a fourth round pick, like there's no reason he can't contribute in future years if he can continues to to develop the bigger concern is with Anzarike in the in the second round and i know the spin with you know with holmes was about the you know the injury and in training camp which is a real thing 
And when your second round pick as a 21 year old or so is going to back specialists in his first training camp, like that's never really a good sign, I would say. Right. Um, but he also didn't do anything when he was out there and he's probably slightly better down the stretch, which you would expect, but I still didn't really see a guy who looked like a second round pick out there. Right. So who knows? No, it's like maybe he gets healthy this offseason and makes some leap. I know that Todd Wash, the defensive line coach late in the year, was talking about how he's really got to improve his lower body strength, mm-hmm. um, which will not only help his like conditioning and his health, but will, I mean, obviously just help him at the point of attack because that was a struggle for him this year. So that's where my concern is, Jeremy. And of all of the um, the draft stuff, like I think Holmes did a lot of good things. But him talking about how he loved Anzarike so much that he was thinking about trading back into the first round for that guy. And then they still get him in the second round, but he looked like he did. Like that, that to me is the concern in the class. And, you know, no GM hits at 100%, but certainly that's the, um, the, the strike in, in the first class. Yeah. And Kyle, you talked a little earlier about <clears throat> Brad Holmes, uh, you know, what he'll be able to do in free agency. This is the talent acquisition phase, uh, a little bit more money to spend this offseason. Uh, who's the top guy? in-house right now that you think the Lions need to bring back for next season? Because, I mean, there's quite a few candidates, right? I mean, like Charles Harris has a breakout season. Tracy Walker seems like he's the leader of that secondary. Um, There's plenty of guys to choose from, but like who – Josh Reynolds, I mean, the emergence of Jared Goff once he comes to town. Um, Alex Anzalone, just from the standpoint that the Lions don't have linebacker depth. We just talked about Derek Barnes. So, like, who do you think is is really important in-house right now that the Lions need to bring back for next season? I think one thing that I like to think about in this conversation, which I've given a lot of thought in the past couple weeks, is, you know, year one of a rebuild, of a total rebuild, your expectations are in one place when you go into year two your expectations are in a different place and when those expectations go up players who might function well in the first year of a rebuild might not fit going into the second year and i I think anzalone is a good example of what i'm saying where yes it's a good point very good team leader who came in with with uh experience in new orleans he knew this defense that's a big reason why they brought him in here because there was going to be substantial turnover at every position. Obviously there was no depth at, at linebacker, but you're installing a new system for a new coaching staff with substantial turnover all over the place. They valued having a guy in the middle, you know, a leader and a guy they could bank on off the field who would be able to help a lot of guys learn this scheme and, and lean on and so forth. So Anne's alone, like what, what, like what they brought him in for uh, was a very good fit. But if you're serious about winning games going forward, like you need a better player than that. And I don't mean that in any kind of way other than like he is what he is. He's a limited player who, you know, is a great team leader. It was a, he was a plus for this team this year. But if you're serious about winning games next year, or certainly in year two, like you're going to need a different player than Anselone. Um, so for, for him, like, like I wouldn't bring him back. Or if you did, it would be like a one, another one-year kind of deal right. where he gives you the flexibility going forward. To me, the priorities would be Tracy Walker and Charles Harris. And um, I think both would fit uh, this paradigm that we're talking about, where year two is greater expectations and certainly in year three, where you're going to be making a a push. And I think both those guys would fit into that. I know that the lack of track record with Charles Harris is a little bit of a deterrent. You know, it's just, you know, he was a four-year bus basically who came in and had a great year. So I don't think I'd give him $100 million and, and maybe he'll find that like money is crazy for pass rushers and free agency. And if he finds us someplace else, 
uh, Godspeed and, and, and God bless. Like he is a good fit for what they're trying to do. Right. Like he's a schematic fit. He's a locker room fit. Um, and I would bring him back and, um, Compare him with uh, uh, Hutchinson or uh, a Thibodeau, right? And you got Julian Aquara, who to me was like one of the five or 10 most improved players from week one to week 18. Mm-hmm. Like he looked like a totally different guy by the end of the year. Um, you got something going on a pass rusher, you know? And that's an important position where the Lions have not had enough talent in a long time. And, and of course, Romeo Aquara as well, of course. Um, Walker is you know, similar deal. Like, you know, he, 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 I think he has more track record. That's why I'd, I'd be more confident in, in re-upping with him like with a multi-year deal. And it's not just the play on the field. Like he's a, he's a above average player, not an elite player, you know, but he's an above average guy you can depend on. Who's, you know, he's pretty dependable and, and off the field too. Like he, he's a guy who cares a lot about winning and about the locker room and about his teammates, about doing things the right way. Um, you know, I, I like people think real highly of that guy. Um, and I would, I would, I would, uh, definitely make him a priority as well uh, in free agency. All right, Kyle, uh, we're going to close things up there. Uh, I want to thank you for, for joining us. And, and my last question is where can the people find you? And I know you, you want, I, I want you to talk about your new podcast too, because uh, obviously if people are listening to this, they, they like podcasts and, uh, you guys are doing something pretty unique over there at MLive. So the floor is yours. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jeremy. Uh, you can always you can find me all over the internet. <laughs> too much, uh, uh, way too, way too, way too busy um, these days. But no, uh, at mlive.com/line, um, especially as the as the draft stuff you know kicks into full gear here going forward. I'll be down in Mobile, so I'll have a lot of Senior Bowl stuff, and that'll, that'll be a big week with the Lions down there and the draft packs, draft uh, prospects who are down there. And then, yeah, you mentioned the podcast. It's a new venture from us. We're only, I think we just we just dropped our seventh episode today, which is kind of a rehash of the Brad Holmes press conference. And we, you know, got a bunch of the best sound bites and kind of, you know, just chopped it up about some of the most important stuff that he had said. Uh, you know, going forward, we have a little bit different vision for it than what we've done so far. Um, you know, we're going to have, we're going to lean heavily on guests, hopefully, and once we get more into the season stuff, it'll be player guests. Um, up until then, I got some some fun ideas, I think, for some different episodes. I want to do like a food episode, you know, just about like tailgating and stuff like that. And um, I don't want to spill the beans on what we're doing next week, but uh, I have a couple of guests lined up that I think should be a lot of fun. One of whom was mentioned in, on today's uh, part of Detroit podcast. Just uh, <laughs> wink, wink. I can't spill the beans. I, I don't want to. I don't know if it's it? okay to say it or not. Yeah, no, no doubt. I'll just say we talked about this guy's hair, so we'll we'll leave it at that. Oh, there you go. That, that, that may have been during the break. So those of you listening on on the audio form yeah. don't know what we're talking about, but it's a Dungeon of Doom podcast with with you and Ben Raven. Uh, if I, I would recommend going and listening to past episodes, Charles Harris had a really great episode with him. Spoke a lot about potentially coming back. Graham Glasgow, who's a friend of ours, all, always uh, very entertaining to talk to. So uh, I'm, that I'm guys sure, are right. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Um, that was but, probably my favorite episode to record just because him and I have a good relationship. Yeah. And I, I, I told him after we, we had shot it uh, via zoom and then it finished. And I'm like, yo, I think this is, I think it was our second episode. If I remember right. I think we did Dan Miller first right. and then Graham second. Cause we have a good relationship and he's awesome. So I knew that he'd be a good way to start a new venture off like that. And we get to the end and it cuts off. And I'm like, Graham, I think you've already given our, uh, 
our producer a carpal tunnel just with like the bleep button, you know, because he <laughs> got a little comfortable. I know he's yeah. sitting at home. He's got an ankle. He's got an ankle injury. He's rehabbing yeah. from, you know. So like I, I, I could tell he's a little free and easy with the with the language, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Absolutely. It was it was fun to record though, and um, yeah. So we'll it'll be about a weekly podcast going forward. Dungeon of Doom, obviously, it's a reference to the Jim Caldwell era. You know, um, yeah. just having a little fun with Jim, but. Love it. Yeah, it's fun. It's good times. All right, Kyle. Appreciate you joining us. As always, love having, love just catching up, even though it's only been a few days since we've seen each other. Yeah, good to see you again. And Ryan, I think this is the first time we've met uh, in in real life, sort of, I guess. I mean, I guess Zoom life. <laughs> yeah, so it was, yeah. nice. it was good. To, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll be back with a a full podcast uh, either on Sunday night or Monday night. We might move to Monday nights now that the season's over. Um, But until then, thanks for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.